We are kicking off a brand new series I am so excited about called Four Cups and uh, have really excited about this series for over a year now. Uh, it was this time of the year. Uh, last year, my wife Susie and I were at a conference in Jacksonville, Florida, and a pastor was speaking named Chris Hodges, and he had just released a book. In fact, it wasn't even released. Uh, we were the first ones to get it in our hands called Four Cups, and he just gave a little preview of it, and I was like, my goodness. I've got to do this. And, and so it's a phenomenal book. I encourage you to pick that up if you get a chance by Chris Hodges. And, and because we're a part of an organization of churches, an association of churches called the Association of Related Churches, ARC, he made all those materials available to all the churches in ARC for free. And so we are real excited about it. I've just been praying about the right timing. Uh, for this series and, and really feel like this right after Easter is the best time uh, for this series and so excited. And, and you know, I'm also excited not only for this series, but I'm excited because Monday was not only a day off for me, but it was also uh, opening day of baseball. Major League Baseball, and I am a huge Yankee fan, and uh, all you that aren't Yankee fans, haters going to hate. And uh, so, so anyway, and I started thinking about, you know, it, uh, the core four. And tonight, I want to talk about the core four, God's core four. And, and in 1995, there were four young baseball players that the Yankees pulled up on their team, Derek Jeter, Jorge Posada, Mariano Rivera, and Andy Pettit. And they were, were referred to as the core four. And those four players, the last of which retired last year, and that's Andy Pettit, they were the nucleus, if you will, for five World Series championships. Five World Series championships. And if you root for any other team than the Yankees, you just have no idea what I'm talking about, how awesome that is. But, but as a Yankee fan, I, I believe in that 15-year period, the Yankees were in the postseason 14 years out of 15. I mean, just absolutely remarkable. Won it five times. And, and that core four, they just won an awful lot. And what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks, the five messages in this series, is God's core four. That in the scripture, God has made promises to you and to me. And, and if we will really uh, understand those promises, if we know what they are, if we'll understand them, and, and really will pursue those promises, it will completely change and revolutionary, revolutionize our lives. And, and so I, I like to under-promise and over-deliver, but this is what I'm going to say about this series. If you hang in there all these five weeks, I guarantee, because of God's promises and God's power, you and I will not be the same people we are today as we will be five weeks from now. That's how confident I am of what we're going to be looking at in this series. And so here's the big idea for the message today, and that's this. Only when we know, understand, and pursue the promises of God do we experience life as he intended. It's only when we understand them, then we pursue them. Uh, I'm sorry, when we know, we understand, and then we pursue the promises do we experience life as he intended them. And so it's not enough just to know them. It's not enough to understand them. We actually have to go for them. We actually have to pursue the promises of God. And I love how 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 puts it. It says, God has given us his very great precious promises 
so that through them you may, watch this now, this is crazy when you think about it, participate in the divine nature. That it's through God's promises that you and I can actually participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. How do we escape the corruption of the world that's caused by evil desires? By, part- by, by God's great promises. And it also allows us to participate in the divine nature. And, and so what is a promise? What is it, how do we define promise? Because that's what we're going to be looking at all through this series is four core promises of God. A promise is an offer with a guaranteed result. That's what a promise really is. An offer with a guaranteed result. And these four promises, now they're not all the, they're, they're not exhaustive list of promises. The Bible is full of all kinds of promises. But these four, it's amazing. We're going to look at it in the book of Exodus. They're restated over and over and over again. In fact, in the New Testament, the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, is really a restatement of these four core promises. This, this is God's original intention for all humanity. Every human being would experience these four core promises. And the reality is, for many of us, one, we don't know them. <laughs> Two, maybe we, know, we don't understand them. And three, many of us, we've never actually pursued these promises. And so we're living below what God wants to do in your life and what God wants to do in my life as well. Chances are, when we talk about these promises, that God has offered, put more on the table, offered you and I, than any of us are actually experiencing in our life. Can you imagine that? It's like God is saying, here, this is what I want for you. There it is. That's my offer. And we're like, no, it's all right. The, the, the king of kings, the creator of the cosmos is saying, I want to do this in your life. And we're like, hmm, no, I'd rather not. Just living so far below what God has for you and what God has for me as well. And so uh, just... Joshua, all throughout the Bible, it talks about promises. In, in the book of Joshua, chapter 21, verse 45, it says, Not one of the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. That's a big statement, isn't it? Not one of God's promises failed that he made in the Old Testament to Israel. And we're going to look and we're going to see through this series, these four promises in the book of Exodus are not just for Israel in the Old Testament. Therefore, every one, you and I, every human being, man, woman, and child, every one that would know them, that would understand them, and that would pursue them. These core four that we're going to look at. And so, talking about God and just keeping his promises, we see the same idea in Hebrews as well. This idea that God is not only a promise maker, God is a promise keeper. That's why it's so important we spend the time in this series. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 6 in that translation of the the Bible called the message that really kind of puts it in real plain, simple terms and translation. In Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 17, when God wanted to guarantee his promises, he gave his word, and I love this, a rock-solid guarantee. That's what God's promises are, a rock-solid guarantee. And then it goes on and says, 
God can't break his word. And because his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. That's why when we look in the Old Testament tonight and through this series, we need to remember the New Testament says God's promises are unchangeable. They are unchanged. They have not changed. He has never rescinded those promises. They are unchangeable. We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. And that's what I'm praying through this series, that, that as we begin to know these four core promises of God, and as we begin to understand these promises, and, and as we begin to pursue these promises, we would <laughs> grab hold with both hands and never let go. I love how that says it. Both hands and never let go. And it actually goes on and says, it's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline. That's what we're going to be talking about in these four cups. An unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God. If you hadn't gotten the hint yet, I'm really trying to get you excited because I'm really excited. I mean, this is really, it is an, these promises, we're going to, an unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very promises, presence of God, hanging on to him. And he says, I'm going to promise you, I'm going to do this in your life to each and every one of us. And, and so here's the first thing that we need to know. Three things about these promises, and I want to go a little bit more into detail here mentioned it once or twice already, but three things about these promises that are important for us to know. First one is this. I need to know the promises. I need to know his promises. It, it doesn't benefit us. It's just like leaving it on the table. It doesn't benefit. God's promises don't benefit us unless we know what his promises actually are. First Chronicles chapter 17, verse 19. I love this. It says, Lord, for the sake of your servant and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made known these great promises. We need to know the promises that God has actually made to us. And, and you know what, really? The Bible is a book of promises. That's why it's so important, and, and over and over again, we encourage you, read your Bible. Read it every day. Don't, don't read it just to check off a box and a to-do list. Read it uh, to, until you find one of those promises that you need and, and hang on to it. And the Bible is full of all kinds of promises. Uh, for instance, if you're facing fear, if, if you find that you're fighting and battling fear in your life, well, Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? If you're battling fear, you hang on to that promise. Uh, maybe you're uh, facing trials and tests uh, and, and, and real struggle in your life. Romans 8.37 is a fantastic promise of God. It says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Another great promise that we can hang on to. Uh, maybe you're facing financial pressure or financial stress. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 is a great promise from God. And my God will meet all my needs according to his riches in glory. 
I mean, there is literally a Bible verse for everything you and I will ever face, a promise that we can hang on to. Maybe you're going to the dentist this week and you're upset, you're kind of worried. What is it going to be like? Well, then you can claim the promise of Psalm 81.10, open thy mouth and I shall fill it. So, so whatever it is that you're facing, you can find a promise. I'm not making this stuff up. You can actually read that. That's Psalm 81.10. Open thy mouth and I shall fill it. And so there's your dental promise right there. (laughs) And and so this is a promise book. And for so many of us, our life experience is so far below what God has promised us. And so we need to know what these promises are. When life doesn't make sense, you and I can hold on to the promises of God. But how can we hold on? if we don't know what they actually are. And so first thing is we need to know the promises of God. The second thing is I need to understand his promises. It's not just enough to know him, I need to understand his promises. Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19 in the New Living Translation puts it this way. And and I love this, sometimes we say, well God didn't come through. We didn't understand his promise. I thought God promised me this and it didn't come through. We didn't understand his promise. It's not that he didn't keep his word. Look at what Numbers 23, 19 says. God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not a human, so he does not change his mind. He, uh, has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Wow. So when we're hanging on to those promises... And it seems like, God, what are you doing? Just keep on hanging on. Because he is not a man that he should lie. That's not who he is. He would cease to be God if he did that. And so quickly, just four things, and and this isn't in the notes here, but just, just kind of follow along. Four things that we need to understand about God's promises. First of all, every promise is unchanging. Every promise that God has ever made is unchanging. You and I can't sin enough to make God change his mind from a promise that he's made us. The the second thing is this. Every promise is unchanging. The second thing is this. Every promise has a premise. Every promise is unchanging, but every promise is conditional. Every promise has a premise. You see this over and over throughout Scripture. God says, if you do this, I'll do that. If, if you do this, I'll do that. So every promise is unchanging, but every promise is also conditional. Meet the conditions, God keeps his word. Every promise has a premise. Here's the third thing we need to know. Every promise requires faith, trust in God. God, I may not even understand it all, but I trust you. May not understand it all, but I trust you. And so every promise is unchanging, Every promise has a premise. Every promise requires faith. And then this is the fourth one that I don't know about you, but I find myself struggling with this fourth one all the time in terms of understanding God's promises. Every promise God fulfills in his time and in his way, not mine. Let me just say that again. Every promise God fulfills in his time and in his way, not mine. And you know what? He's really, 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 really patient 
He's really, really patient. And you know why he's so patient? Because God realizes the process has as much to do with the end, with the end result. And there are so many things in the process of him fulfilling the promise that he wants to do in our lives. And so he's patient because we learn so much in the process. So, first of all, we need to know the promise. Second of all, we need to understand the promise. And here's the third thing. You and I, I need to pursue his promises. I need to go after them. I need to pursue. It's not about being passive. It's about actively. Remember that verse we looked at? We're grabbing hold of them, and we won't let go. I need to pursue his promises. Over the next few weeks, this, this weekend, and the next five, five messages in this series, we're, we're going to be on a spiritual journey together, pursuing these f- core four promises of God. And, and this series is all about spiritual maturity. And, and as I said before, five weeks from now, you and I, I, I believe this with everything in me, you and I are going to look back five weeks from now, and we're not going to be in the same place spiritually as we are right now. If we'll just, one, know these promises, Two, understand these promises. And three, pursue these promises. How can you be so confident of that? Because God's word promises it. Look at Psalm 119, verse uh, 140. David, King David put it this way. Your promises have been thoroughly tested and your servant loves them. David, a man after God's own heart, said, I've tested those promises. And you know what? I love them. These four promises have been tested time and time and time again. Put to the test. People like you and I have pursued these promises. And God has kept his word. Fulfilled these promises. Later on in Psalm 119, actually in verse 148, David goes ahead and says this, and I love this. My eyes stayed open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on what? Your promises. David said, they are so good. Your promises are so good. It kept me awake and I couldn't even sleep because it was so good. What I knew you were planning for my life, what you intended to bring about in my life, it kept me awake. And I'm laying there on my pillow and just going over and over and over and over again. Your promises. And so, let's look at these core four promises. The core four, God's core four promises. And as I mentioned, Good Friday and, uh, and a little bit on Easter uh, Sunday as well, uh, these four promises are all rooted in the Old Testament celebration of the Passover. There are actually four cups in that Passover meal. And each one of those cups, it was like a toast, if you will, in the Passover. Each one of those four cups represent one of the promises of God. And during the Passover, they would recite this verse that we're going to look at, where these four promises are all right here. In the Passover, this promise that God made to the children of Israel when they were still in bondage in Egypt. And they would celebrate and remember these four core promises of God. 
what's very interesting when you're reading the Gospels, it's a little tricky. In fact, on Good Friday, I got a little uh, confused and stumbled through this. In Mark and Luke especially, it actually says that Jesus didn't just pick up one cup, he picked up two. It's the third cup and the fourth cup in communion. Read it for yourself, Luke chapter 22. It says first he took the cup, then he took the bread, then he took the cup. What in the world? What's going on? I thought there was just one cup. Luke is dropping in in Luke chapter 22 on Jesus taking the third cup of the Passover and the fourth cup of the Passover. Those two cups represent two of the core four promises. And it's amazing. We're going to look at it in just a minute. I'm going to give you kind of a little preview, coming attractions, especially for those of you that are in the theater. You're going to be used to that. And, and it's going to give you a little preview of what's coming up in these core four promises. And, and so let's look at it. Exodus chapter 6, and, and I have these highlighted, but they're going to just jump off the screen at you anyway. Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. Look at what God says. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord... Here's number one, I will bring you out. I'm going to bring you out of bondage. I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. There's the first promise. I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I'm going to bring you out. Here's the second promise. I will free you from being slaves. You know, I've heard it said this way before. God had to bring Israel out of Egypt, and then he had to get Egypt out of Israel. Same way for you and for me. He says, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And there's the second one. I will free you from being slaves to them. Do you know in the Civil War, the Emancipation Proclamation, when Abraham Lincoln wrote that and freed the slaves in the South, they were free. And history accounts that most all the slaves stayed and remained on the plantations. Why? Because they had a mentality that's all that they knew. And so they were free. He brought them out. But they weren't free from being slaves in their mind. Many of them stayed right there 20, 30, 40 years later and died right on those same plantations and had been free for decades. Many Christians have a slave to sin mentality. And God wants to set us free. I'll bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. Here's, this, here's the third one. I will redeem you. I will redeem you with outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And then on the next screen, it gives us the fourth promise. I will take you as my own people. And I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Those are the four core promises of God. He did it for Israel, and he's been doing it for men and women, just like you and just like me ever since. And he wants to do, he wants to accomplish those four core promises in your life and my life as well. And so I want to go a little bit deeper here now. Look at a little bit deeper, these four core promises. And, and let me just ask this question as we do. What cup are you drinking from? Where are you? What, what cup, this Passover, these four promises, that, these cups, these four cups that represent these four promises, which cup are you drinking from? Let's look at the first one. God says, I will bring you out. I will bring you out. What does that mean? God promises me salvation. 
He promises me salvation. God says, I'm going to bring you out. Look at what Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7 says in the NIV. It talks about the fact that he's brought us out. Many people have experienced this. Many people haven't experienced the fact that God has brought us out. He promises me salvation. We do religious stuff, but we don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We, haven't, we, we don't know what it means to be saved and forgiven of our sins. Look at what Titus 3 says. At one time, we too were foolish and disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. That that was a driving force in our life, passion and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating on one another. That's what it looks like to be a slave in bondage to sin. Being hated and hating on one another. And then it goes on, it says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, when, when all of a sudden we realized what God had done for us in Jesus Christ, it goes on, it says, He saved us, not because of righteous things that we did, not because of anything that we did, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. And it goes on and it says, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we didn't earn it, it's his grace, we might become heirs having hope of eternal life. He saved us. This is what we just talked about. When we look at Good Friday and Jesus, our Passover lamb, and when we looked at Easter Sunday, unlocking Easter, God did for you and I what we could never do for ourselves, would never be good enough. We could never get our own act together. We need Jesus to get our stuff together. He saved us. And so the first promise, I will bring you out. God promises me salvation. The second promise is this, I will free you. I will free you. And what does that mean? God promises me deliverance. God promises me deliverance. Now, don't get all hung up on that word. You know, as deliverance, we start thinking like, you know, don't get, oh, this is kind of crazy. This is real creepy stuff. You, you know, that or, or, or some girl head spinning around backwards. That's not, that, that, that's really not what deliverance means at all, okay? Uh, it, it deliverance means setting you free. That means, deliverance just means I'm going to set you free. I'm going to set you free from the bondage of sin is what God's saying. I love Romans chapter 7 and verse 8. Sorry, chapter 7 and chapter 8. The apostle Paul even talked about the struggle, the inside struggle between what he wanted to do, what he knew was good, and yet what he found himself doing. And, and I just think, I don't know, if he was still, Jesus was working in his life to bring him freedom, well, I, I, I think that it's normal for all of us. That, that, that what I want to do, I don't do. But what I don't want to do, I find myself doing. I, I mean, last weekend, some of us in church, just, just quietly in prayer, we said, God, I'm not doing that anymore. A week later, we only did it six times. And we just promise, you know, we just we say over and over, and, and we're not free. I, I believe probably 80 to 90% of Christians never get past this second cup. 
Never get past the second cup. It's not because God doesn't want it. He wants us to experience all four. But, but many of us, we're just drinking this second cup, and we never get to the third. Here in Romans chapter 7, let me read to you what the Apostle Paul writes. As he's talking about his struggle, and, and he only wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. So I think we're in pretty good company. Listen to what he says here, Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 25, and going on through to chapter 8, verse 2. So then, I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law. He's like, I just, I just can't even follow it. But in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God wants us to understand there's no condemnation. It's about grace. And he wants to pour out his grace in your life. He wants to pour out his grace in my life that we would walk in freedom. And he goes on and he says, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set me free from the law of sin and death. That's the second cup. In two weeks, we're gonna be looking at that. God wants to set you free. Set me free of the law of sin and death. There's no condemnation, it said. Did you know this? God is not frustrated with you. God is not like, you said you wouldn't do that again. Look, you went and did it four times this week. Man, <laughs> what am I going to do with you? There's therefore no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. What he's done is he said, you did it again. You left my promise on the table. I have so much more for you. If you'll just know my promises, understand my promises, and pursue my promises. I'll bring you out. I'll set you free. The third promise is this. There's two more offers on the table. As I said, many Christians never get to this third promise, but God wants to fulfill this promise in your life and mine. I will redeem you. I will redeem you. What does that mean? God promises me restoration. He's in the restoration business. What does redeem mean? It means to put back to its original intent. The reason you're alive right now on planet Earth, God has an original intent for your life. And it doesn't matter how bad you've blown it, how far you've gotten off track, God wants to restore you. God wants to bring you back to the original purpose for which he created you as an individual. God promises restoration. This is so exciting to me. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. 11 and 12 from the message. It says this. It's in Christ. It's giving me pump. I'm going to try not start hollering. It's in Christ that we find out who we are. Greg Williamson will never know who he really is apart from Jesus Christ. I thought I knew. And then he showed me. 
It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. What's the purpose of our life? Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. Had designs on us for glorious living. That's what God's intention is for us. Glorious living. He goes on and says, part of the overall purpose he's working out in everything and everyone. When we didn't even care about, he had his eye on us. He says, I know what the purpose of your life is. We can only find that in Jesus Christ. Man, we're going to talk a lot about that in the next few weeks. I will redeem you, he says. God promises me restoration. Then here's the fourth promise, the fourth cup. By the way, I will redeem you. That's the first cup that Jesus took on the night he was betrayed that the scripture tells you, I'm going to redeem you. How cool is that? I'm going to redeem you. He's about to go to the cross. I'm going to redeem you. Now the fourth cup. I will take you as my own people. I will take you as my own people. What does that mean? God promises me fulfillment. God promises me fulfillment. God wants to put us in a family. God wants to make us a member of a team. He wants to make us a community. He wants to place us in a church. There is nothing in this world more fulfilling that you and I will ever experience the greatest that life can possibly be when we're a part of a team that is making a difference in the world in which we live for Jesus Christ. There's nothing like it. There is absolutely nothing. And one of the things that we're gonna do as a church family, man, we're doing some cool things behind the scenes. We're really excited about this, is helping every single person in the church family find out where God has placed them in this team. Nothing more fulfilling than that, knowing I'm making a difference. You know, I believe that's a question in every person's heart. Am I even making a difference? If I wasn't here, would anyone even notice? And the resounding question, the resounding answer to that question from God is, I created you to make a difference. I want to place you in a family where you'll find fulfillment. I want to place you in a church. I want to place you on a team where you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt my life is making a difference in someone else's life. And you know what? When we recognize that, when we know these four promises, when we understand these promises, and when we pursue these promises, then we will be able to say, in agreement with what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. This thief is a reference to Satan's plan for your life and mine. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus says, Listen, here it is. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full.
to the full. We need to know the promises. We need to understand the promises. We need to pursue the promises. And then we will experience the life that God intended for us. So that's where we're headed. I hope to, that was a dangling carrot for you. That's where we're headed. We're going to go deep on every one of these four promises in the next few weeks. Right now, I just want to, can we bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your promises. The promises that you have made to us. And for many of us, Lord, uh, even hearing today, we're just beginning to know these promises. I will bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you, and I will take you as my own people. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't say person. You said people because you want to place us in a family. We're the body of Jesus Christ. Place us on a team that's making a difference in the world. And so, Father, we just pray as we really kick off this series, Lord, that we would be committed to hanging on to the promises that we're going to learn and understand these promises and to pursue these promises ultimately by pursuing Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that your promises are unchanging and we can count on them. In Jesus' name, amen.